0: Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security and culture. Welcome. Mali has been at the forefront of news about the Sahel, a region that is grappling with a string of challenges. Islamist insurgency, sluggish democratic transitions, economic development issues, governance, civilian rule, demographic pressures, a Tuareg rebellion, and climate change contingencies, to name but a few. On the security front, Mali is the ultimate case study of foreign security assistance gone wrong. Several foreign powers and actors have been involved in Mali, including the United States through the U.S. Africa Command, also known as AFRICOM, France through several military engagements, such as Operation Barkhane and Operation Serval, the European Union's Task Force Takuba, G5 Sahel, and Russia's Wagner Group. Yet, peace has not broken out and Mali continues to struggle through these challenges. Mali has experienced two military coups in the last two years. Tensions between the current interim government of Colonel Asimi Goita and France led to the withdrawal of French forces from the country. The situation has caused tensions with the European Union, which is now exerting its own pressure on Mali. On a different front, tensions also arose between Mali and the economic community of West African states, known as ECOWAS, over the delayed schedule of elections, for which ECOWAS suspended Mali. The suspension has since been lifted. In a country as big as Mali, however, conflict is experienced differently, depending on whether one lives in the far reaches of Tuareg territory, the famed town of Tombouctou, or the capital city of Bamako. Joining me on into Africa to discuss life in Mali today is Dosuba Konate. Country Director of Accountability, Mali. Dosuba has worked in a number of countries, including Niger, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Guinea-Bissau. Greetings Dosuba and welcome to Into Africa.
1: Thank you very much for having me here.
0: You are visiting us from Mali. What is life like in Mali today?
1: Thank you again. And um, what an interesting question. Where should I begin? Because Mali is such a large country. And I have to admit that life in Bamako, the capital city, is quite different from the different region. Let's talk about first about like the northern part and the center area, where if there is a word that can that we can use to describe the situation is unfortunately insecurity. Not in all areas, but we have to understand that Mali is such a large country. It's really a big, big country. Unfortunately, we don't necessarily have the human resources of the financial resources to manage this entire piece of land, which is leading to a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of zone where we can probably describe that as a no man's land, which is giving the opportunities to different group, whether it's terrorist group, whether it's just like people that are acting on their own benefit who are causing the terror. This is really the issue like in the center area, Mopti, Gao, Timbuktu, Kidal. And then you have obviously like the capital city, like a really vibrant, dynamic, main big city, which is Bamako, where everything is centralized. This is usually where everybody will gather. Even if you want to do like a, a context to be part of like the public services, you will go to Bamako to do that test. So this is really like the centralized, the, the main city. And then you have other areas such as Sikasso, Segou, and Denkai, where it's a little bit less. We don't talk too much about insecurity in those areas. So this is kind of the safe zone, even though we know that there are still a few attempts to destabilize those areas, but they are pretty safe.
0: So you mentioned that Mali is a big country. Just how big is it? Is it the largest country in uh, the Sahel?
1: Niger is actually pretty, pretty big as well. I want to say that Mali is largest. I mean, Mali is definitely like three or four times the size of France. So
0: that's a big territory because France is considered one of the largest, if not the largest country in Western Europe. The interesting part about conflict anywhere in the world, it, it allows us to learn about a country. We learn new names. You just mentioned Mopti, Gao, Tumbuktu, Bamako, Kidal, Segun, Kai. Yes. How did Mali get to the situation you have described? What is the story?
1: So Mali used to be really an empire in the West Africa, with parts in, in Guinea, in Côte d'Ivoire, in Burkina Faso, and that's why there are so many similarities with the neighboring countries. But if you want to talk about Ethnic Malian
0: similarities, yes. language and so on. And A- the exactly. same thing exactly and
1: culture same ethnical groups within those different countries, and yeah, same language as well. So one of the things that we have to take in consideration is the Tuareg rebellion.
0: And the Tuareg are rebelling, why?
1: They're rebelling because they think that they do not have access to the resources in those parts, and I think that it kind of reflects also in those different regions where you will see that there is less access to to social services. So people were complaining because they were not having access to school. So those are what led to those Tuareg rebellions. One of the things also that is really important is really the failure of social contract. But now that failure of social contract, it's not just in the northern part or the center part. It's actually inside the country. You will have like the capital City of those different regions that I mentioned such as Timbuktu, Gao and Kai, where you do have access to certain services, but then there is a lot of remote area, a lot of rural area where people do not have access. To. And that's where we have an issue because when you go into those areas, you will see a lot of plaques with the name of NGOs, for example, with a lot of services that are being offered by those NGOs. This is another issues in the sense that the agenda of those NGOs always change, right? So now you will have like a focus on health, but two days after you will have a focus on agriculture and, and so on and so on. The fact that the government is not there, is not playing its role, there is a lot of people that are excluded. They don't have access to proper health infrastructure, to education. And this has created like a lot of tension, a lot of exclusion, people are not included in the decision making process, they cannot voice their concern. This is what is leading us to the situation that we have right now.
0: In that sense, Mali is no different from any other conflict out there in the world, not just in the Sahel and other parts of Africa and elsewhere. And that the drivers of conflict, you actually have mentioned them, is the failure of social contract, people feeling excluded or people feeling dominated by certain other groups and people saying we don't want to be part of this. And unfortunately, I think across the continent in Africa, conflict that we see are driven by the failure of the social contract. In the case of Mali, this failure of the social contract, this conflict has brought in a lot of actors. You mentioned some of them. You mentioned NGOs. Who else is in Mali and who else is affecting this space?
1: God knows that we have a lot of actors there. So we have, obviously, like international organization. We had France.
0: What happened with France? By that, we can say as a former colonial power, was there always a partnership between France and Mali?
1: Yes. So as you know, France... Intervene in 2013 because the terrorist group were about to come to Bamako. So France intervened to actually push back those terrorist group. And I think that from 2013 until now, the insecurity was actually mostly in the northern part. Now, the insecurity is actually in the center part. And I'm talking again about Gao Mopti, which were really peaceful. So there has been kind of a switch where the insecurity came to the center area. And now people were actually starting to question what was the role of the French. And they basically noticed that everything that happened really led to more insecurity, to more insecurity towards those population. But there were also some attacks on the civil. We can talk about, for example, in Bundy, So there had been a lot of back and forth and a lot of report coming from international organization who actually blamed France regarding those attacks. We have seen things that Mali has never had before. Entire villages completely erased from the map. We can talk about the attack of Ogosagu, where more than 150 people have been
0: killed. Who killed these people?
1: That's where people talk about like an instrumentalization between two different ethnical groups, and we're talking about Fulani and the Dogon. And those two people used to live in harmony. So now the fact that we have a lot of different actors on the ground, people tend to think that there has been that instrumentalization so that people are actually now fighting each other.
0: You have the French, they come in 2013, they run the operations, and you say that according to the civilian population, those operations were a failure because there were a lot of situations of insecurity that continue to increase. What is causing those tensions between the various ethnic groups?
1: I think that whenever you have new actors, you have to make sure that, that you're treating everybody the same. Sometimes we may have seen or witnessed that some group were actually privileged. And whenever you put another group on top of another one, that can create those kind of tensions.
0: In the current system, then, it's your sense that certain groups are being favored over others? I think so. Beside the issue of security that you described, we know that things are not good with France between France and Mali now. In fact, the government of Mali asked the French to leave. What was at the center of that? And beside the French, who else is in the country in terms of foreign partners?
1: So the departure of the French people, a lot of Malian population were actually protesting against the MINUSMA, against the French power. And we just realized that insecurity was just spreading. And I think that there is also a lot of communication that has been disseminated on different platforms, social media, and so on, accusing the French people of not being at the interest of Mali. The mind of the Malian population being like, okay, so are they really here to help us? Or are they here to actually exploit us? And on top of that, all those attacks on different villages where the French army was blamed didn't help. That's for sure. The military coup. Obviously, that's when we had that diplomatic crisis that started between Mali and France. The Malian population was actually in the streets protesting. And when I'm saying the Malian population, I'm not just talking about people from Bamako. People were actually taking buses from the different region to actually come every Friday to actually manifest at the Place of Independence. We have pictures That was just like the greatest mobilization of the population asking for the president who was there at that time, Ibeka, to leave the power.
0: Ibrahim Babakar. Ibrahim
1: Boubakar Keita, who passed away not too long ago. So people were asking him to leave, and people were actually protesting against the social economic crisis, the corruption the economical corruption, the social corruption, the political corruption, and also the presence of the international forces. It was just not France. Like France had a partnership with the European Union. We had Spain, we had German, we had different countries that were based here.
0: Including the UN.
1: Exactly, and we have the MINUSMA as well.
0: So France or French troops taking resources, what does that mean?
1: We all know that now fake news is absolutely big. There had been that instrumentalization when people were actually questioning the real motives of the presence of the French in Mali.
0: This means that misinformation, disinformation is very much part of the narrative to which the Malian populations are reacting. It's also driven, I think, to hear you, the tension between France and the population. What is the big perception, even before this conflict? How did the people of your country see France? And how is that changed now within the context you just described?
1: Okay. So France is the former colonial power, right, in Mali and other neighboring countries. We all know that the French colonization is definitely, it's still something that is at the heart of, of people. And it's not something that is seen as positive. So after the military coup, we had different politicians, such as Shogel Maïga, who was the prime minister, or even Abdoulaye Job, who's the foreign affairs minister. Those people, they are saying out loud what a lot of people are thinking. They are standing up in front of France. If you take a look at the news, whether it's in Mali or in Senegal or in whatever countries that has been colonized by the French, People tend to describe our politicians as like puppets in the sense that they always follow what France is telling them. So now we have political leaders who are standing up in front of the French government. If you go to Mali right now or if you listen to radio, what people will do right now is that they will listen to all of those speeches, especially the one that have been made by Abdoulaye, Abdoulaye Job, the foreign affairs minister. All of his Discords are in French, but they will actually take it sentence by sentences and translate it in Bambaha, which is the main language that is being spoken and descent by the Malian population. To make sure that really Malian people knows that we have people that are fighting for us.
0: The perception of the Malian people is that the government that they have today, the interim administration of Colonel Goita, is standing up to the French and speaking for the freedom and liberty of Malian. Is that some kind of decolonization mindset?
1: Yeah, definitely, because they're fighting for the freedom, for the liberty, but also they want to make sure that all of the different partnership that we have now is at the benefit of the Malian population. The feeling that the Malian population has is that the French intervention was not at the benefit of the Malian population. There is definitely like a willingness to change, to bring new actors, new partner, so that it can really be at the benefit of Mali. And that's where we're talking about Russia, for example.
0: In the West, Russia, I mean, it's not quite Russia. The Wagners group, which is a Russian outfit, and depending on who you talk to, it's either seen as an extension of the Russian government or PMC, Private Military Mm Cooperation. It's posing some challenges in terms of analysis. So you talked about the French. Malians know the French. They've lived with the French. They've seen the French for maybe a century now, over a century. Mm -hmm. So they have a relationship that is fraught. The European Union is relatively new Mm -hmm. as an entity. You have the, the Chinese, you have the Gulf Arab states, and so on. In this conflict setting, you have the Wagner Group. What interaction do the Malian people have with that side of the equation?
1: There's not a level of interaction with the Wagner Group, definitely. We do not hear a lot about Wagner. Whenever we hear about them, it's actually from outside, from medias that are coming outside of Mali. The Malian government is not really talking about the the Wagner. First of all, they don't mention Wagner. They say that we have a partnership with Russia. They are selling to us arms, and now we have a partnership with that government, in the sense that they are training our troops to use the new military arms that we have. That's That's what we're here. That's That's the 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 messaging exactly.
0: In terms of information, how do people are getting the information? The communication from. Abdullah Job, Minister of Foreign Affairs and the government and so on.
1: So the communication that we have right now is really coming, first of all, from the Malian government. I'm not saying that it's a perfect communication. Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is that there is more and more communication coming from the transitional government that we have right now towards the Malian population. It's going to be information about the number of persons have been killed. That number of terrorists also have been killed. Um, and I think that there is also like a valorization of the FAMA, forces
0: the armed forces of Mali.
1: Exactly. So this is the communication that we have right now.
0: Your sense is that the government, the interim government, transitional government is actually communicating with the people. They're making the effort to tell, to keep people updated on the development, yes. the kinetic development.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: In a conflict zone, life is not experienced the same way. You mentioned a string of uh, cities here, Mopti, Gao. Some of them really are the thick of the conflict, meaning, again, the killing, the terrorism. But cities like Bamako, you describe as kind of peaceful. Can you talk a little bit about life in Bamako?
1: Sometimes I have the feeling that it's two different countries, to be honest. Really like the main city in Mali, it's really vibrant. There's a lot of people, a lot of social events are happening there. and you can have like a normal life in bamako i live in bamako and i don't feel the insecurity whatsoever in bamako even though a few months ago there has been an attack in kati kati is actually the city just before coming to bamako it's actually really close but when you are in bamako if i want to talk about like the social events Artists are still there. There's concerts,
0: concerts, arts,
1: arts, exhibition, right.
0: bars are open,
1: bars are open, full? full, you can go clubbing every weekend. You can go to a restaurant. There's a lot of restaurants. You can go to hotels to have fun and so on. It doesn't mean that like you still have to be careful, right? Obviously. But I mean, like people are still living their life
0: how do they, are the other citizens of the country feel that the capital city seems to go on with its life where the rest of the country is under pressure
1: this is yeah. one of the critics that we are receiving because yeah people from other region they will see now with social media everything is online on whatsapp tiktok i mean you have access to everything so even people in the region they see what is happening in bamako and they see that life is still is still happening So, so yes, there is that critics, but at the same time, there are still people coming. And that's probably why we have a lot of people that are actually coming to Bamako City.
0: What is the population? What's the normal size of the population of Bamako?
1: I would say 4 million.
0: Before the conflict? Or with the conflict.
1: I want to say with the conflict with right the now. Conflict. Yeah.
0: And before that, before the migration,
1: we're talking maybe about three or even a little bit less. So. so that's
0: quite an increase. Yes. How's that affecting then the delivery of social services and security? You said you don't feel a lot of insecurity, but there gotta be some pressure somewhere. Oh if yes. If you have those kind of numbers coming yeah, yeah, to Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: City. You do have a pressure. I mean, driving in Bamako city is is quite a challenge now. So you have the district of Bamako, but now you will see that there are so many different outside of Bamako. We will call that the suburbs of, for example, Washington, D.C., but Bamako is becoming like a larger city. So in terms of like social pressure, yes, you will hear a lot of complaints, like too many people, too many garbage, too many this, too many that, because there
0: is... What about employment and homelessness?
1: When the crisis happened... There were a lot of beggars coming from the Northern parts. So you will see like Tamashek people who are begging in the street. Now you will see a lot of children. You will see a lot of like mother with children on, on the, on the street begging. That's definitely something that is more, that you see more and more.
0: Social media, I want to go back to this communication. The average Malian, how do they get their information?
1: Social media is key. I'm going to start with radio first. It's free. It's really accessible. So a lot of people are listening to, to the radio and you can have access in local languages, in all of the different local languages in Mali. So radio is key.
0: This is Radio France Internationale, the French.
1: Exactly. The French radio and program. the French TV, exactly. The mm-hmm. French TV station as well.
0: You used to have them, you said. So what happened to them?
1: The power in place decided to actually revoke their license. their License. So they are not being broadcasted anymore in Mali. It's been a few months now. So radio, social media is really key. Everything started with Facebook. You have a lot of journalists who are actually relaying a lot of information on social media. Uh, a lot of pictures of everything that is happening. The protest that we had when Ibeka was still in power, that was actually really well communicated on Facebook. Now you have WhatsApp, who kind of revolutioned the information and the spreading of fake news as well, because you can do vocal notes and you can share videos. WhatsApp group just to get specific information about like a specific geographic zone, for example. Now you have also TikTok, which is really attractive because it's like short videos, local languages is key. People are getting all those information through, through
0: social media.
1: Yeah. You will see a lot of people who have smartphones. They don't know how to read or so on, but because of WhatsApp, like the vo- the vocal notes, you, you will just talk. So that's why that I'm saying that WhatsApp really revolutionized the way people are now communicating. People are actually spreading the information.
0: Are those messages Primarily political messages, or you will say there's a spectrum.
1: There is a spectrum. There is absolutely all type of information on that, but definitely it's being now used to actually spread political information, to raise awareness about like specific issues, but also to spread disinformation.
0: There's danger in that space as well, in miscommunication or. I think so. You will
1: see a lot of fake information. I do remember that when. The situation between France and Mali started to escalate. There was a document coming supposedly from the Malian government saying that, okay, so now the Malian government is actually asking the French to leave the country and that Bambaha is now the national language, which was fake. Right now, we are in the situation where there is like a national debate on what is the national language that we should use.
0: ECOWAS suspended Mali. How did the Malian people take that stance of ECOWAS?
1: A lot of people were actually criticizing, they kind of felt that we did not adjust treatments from ECOWAS in the sense that Mali is not the only one who had a coup, right? We have Burkina Faso, we had Guinea. A lot of people are actually saying that we should redraw ourselves from that institution. Um, The same way that Mali decided to redraw Um, itself from the G5 style, for example, because again, they think that those organizations are not playing a role that is beneficial to us, the population who are already struggling with the insecurity, with the social economic crisis.
0: The sense is that the treatment was unfair.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
0: You are a practitioner of development and governance. What is the gap in Mali? And if you're the magic wand, what will you do to bridge that gap?
1: There is definitely, yeah, a gap for so many different reasons. Working in an an NGO civil society organization in Mali, this is the type of things that we do, trying to measure the perception of the population in specific area on a specific topic. Right now, this is what we're doing, especially in the center and the northern part, because we know that because of that insecurity, those regions tend to be a little bit left on the the side, we need to be more inclusive and make sure that their concerns are being voiced and then addressed. I think that whenever we are watching the news, it's all negative. There is a lot of challenges. Mali is definitely going to a rough path with all of that insecurity, but I think that there is also a lot of hope. I think that we need to see the youth more particularly as an opportunity and give them more space, more opportunities, we should not see them as a burden because um, right now there's a lot of different movements in Mali. We can talk about Malikura, Yerewolo, so many different movements where people want to embrace and they want to make sure that really now the the policy or the measures that we are applying in our countries are really to the benefit of the Malian population. Corruption, this is something that I maybe did not mention, but this is, this is also key to the different problem that we had. This actually led to all type of insecurity of the failure of social contract. So if I had a magical wand, that would be to really eradicate corruption, wow. social corruption, economical corruption, so that really all of those resources could really benefit the entire population because God knows that we have a lot of them.
0: Dosuba Konate, thank you for joining us today on Into Africa. It's been fantastic to have you. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csi.s.org/africa. So long.